0: We want mm-hmm. some more. <laughs> Thank you. Adam. Okay. Oh, I kept, forgot to tell you too. Be careful there about when you're preaching. I'm getting a sore back every time you come across something really exciting. Tracy goes like that <laughs> about 15 times last night. I said I'm, I'm going to have to move. <laughs> he keeps hitting me. I'm you up. Ellen's kind of like the Apostle Paul. He said he wasn't going to say anything else. <laughs> and the Apostle Paul says, Finally, brethren, and he goes on for another chapter. And so <laughs> Tracy, leave him alone, too. <laughs> I want to ask you, if you would, to uh, turn with me in your Bibles tonight, and again, I really thank Alan and Tracy for asking us to uh, be a part of the conference, and uh, we just, I'd like to speak, and I know that I'm speaking for all of the, the, the people who have spoken and studied But we really hope and pray that the words that are given um, are meaningful to you and that it will make a difference in your life. Um, It's not uh, that we want to try to tell you how intelligent uh, we are because that shows <laughs> but um, we, we really do want it. We each of us. I know uh, Arlen, Scott, Jim, and Mike uh, all want it to be meaningful. If you will turn with us in your Bibles to the Song of Solomon in chapter four, am gonna. <clears throat> begin reading here in the Song of Solomon, chapter 4. Did you know that there are two books in the Bible where the Lord's name is not given? One's the book of Esther and the other is this book that we're looking at. And if you'd if you'd like to tell me why after, where I I'd be interested in you telling me why, there is a reason. But uh, but um, if you'll look with me for a minute, uh, this is something that uh, this is a part of what we have uh, discussed with some of you before. But uh, I'd like to kind of begin here in regards to this. Uh, I would like to tell you something before we start, and I don't want you to look around. I don't want you to try to put your eyes on anyone in particular, but um, when I was studying about this, I uh, uh, was reminded of a a little incident in my life that I went to this Place to uh, to get my hair cut, and um, <clears throat> there was a lady that was a good friend of the person that was cutting my hair, and she's really a a, a freelancer and whatever. And this um, this lady uh, that was a friend to the hairdresser that I went to, got a call from her husband. And here I am in this place, two women, and her husband asked her, said, what are you doing? Do you know what she said? I'm smelling the preacher. And she thought my cologne or whatever it was. Uh, she, oh, that is so precious. I thought, you know, I'm leaving now. <laughs> I am not going to get caught up. <laughs> so you see, fragrance has a powerful effect on folks, and this is this is what I'd like for you to to notice with me in in this book. If you look with me in chapter 4, you will see in verse 9 that, and this is just a dialogue uh, between a man and a woman. It is a precious book. It is a kingdom-oriented book. And the reason that I say that is because this was written by a Jewish king shepherd in regards to a Gentile bride, and we'll look at that in, uh, in, in, in just in just a moment. It makes many references to the truth in regards to the kingdom. And as a, for instance, if you look in verse 11 of chapter 4, you'll see a phrase that is, that is used really often, and it's not in chapter 4, uh, verse 11, it's in verse uh, 10. The man says, How fair is thy love, My sister, my spouse. You see, a sister is born into the family, but a spouse is chosen. And this is the way it is with Christ and his bride. We are born, but we're also chosen. And this is this is the relationship and I know that uh, the Jewish people would not allow uh, their children to read this until they attained a certain age. And it has descriptions uh, in here that seem to be exotic, but that's not the point. The point is that they are attributing their relationship as to that it was when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, and that's the way they were. And the point here is that there was a love in Solomon's life that was greater than anything that he had had ever seen. Before he became king, he met this woman, and this woman bore him a child. And this was the lady to which I think Solomon wrote this little book. And, you know, I know all of you know this, that Solomon had a thousand uh, Seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines, do you know the name of one of them? You gotta know the name, and her name was Naamah. Well, how did you know that? Hold your hand here for a minute. I just want you to uh, to understand this. Look back with me to first uh first kings chapter fourteen for a minute. Look in First Kings chapter 14. And in verse 21, you, you'll see that the scriptures tell us, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was forty and one years old when he began to reign. That's significant because Solomon only reigned 40 years and he died. So a year before Solomon became king, he had this son named Rehoboam. And Rehoboam reigned in Jerusalem 17 years. And in the last part of the verse, his mother's name was Naamah and that was Solomon's wife, and that's the only one that's mentioned. So this woman was more precious than a thousand others. So you have to see that this relationship was of great value, and she was an Ammonitist. <clears throat> and it's significant, if you look at this name, that there was only one other name like this in the Bible, and it's in Genesis chapter 4. It was Tubal Cain's sister. And to me, this is illustrating that our Lord Jesus could love in such a strong way that he could reach even into the descendants of Cain and bring someone in as a Gentile, as his bride. And be that as it may, let me read back in the Psalm chapter 4 and read with you uh, in, in verse 12. Well, in, in verse five, this man say, uh, verse nine, this man says, "Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse, thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes and w- one chain." I wonder what he thought about the other one, but uh, he, uh, w- he said, "How fair is thy love?" Now, you know, when you read this, Please understand that it's a love story, and you won't you won't want to do a lot of these things. you know he walks in one day and says, "Honey, you look like one of the horses in Pharaoh's army <laughs> i I wouldn't recommend that to uh, to you men to um, and he says later on, your neck is like the tower, and that's what every woman hates is a long neck. you know. They... But there's a reason. This is to show you that there is a love here, that the language is expressive of the uniqueness of the relationship between the man and the woman. Look with me hurriedly, and I want to get through this uh, quickly to, uh, to show you. He says, your lips drop as the honeycomb, honey and milk are under thy tongue. The smell of thy garments is like the smell of Lebanon. Now we begin here to think about a fragrance We begin to think about something and uh, I want to take just a little time to uh, uh, try to show you and remind you of how important a smell is. And you would say, uh, I don't know, why would that be important? Well, do you know what God did when he created Adam? How did he become a living being? God breathed into his nostrils. And did you know that in the economy of under Moses and the old law, that if a person was to be appointed as a priest, do you know one thing that disqualified him? A flat nose. And so... And, and you know, by the way, do you know what Miriam and the children of Israel sang when they crossed the Red Sea as to how God parted the waters? Well, I know you'd say, well, it was a big old wind. Yeah, but where did it come from? In Exodus chapter 15, it was a blast from the nostrils of God it's important about the scent, and if you look with me as we read further you'll see that this man is talking in a typical sense about his bride and he says in verse 12 that she is a garden enclosed and this is Actually, a description that she is a garden which is walled in. Think of the important things that have happened in the Bible in gardens. Our Lord uh, crucified there. Our Lord buried there. Uh, Adam and Eve there and so forth. And in this garden that's enclosed, he says that she is a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. And this is, this is the work of God the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. Jesus said, he that believeth on me... As the Spirit says, out of his innermost beings will flow rivers of living water. He told the Samaritan woman in John 4 uh, that the water that he gives would be springing up unto everlasting life. The scriptures also tell us that the Holy Spirit has sealed us. After we've believed and understand some great truths, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. And then he begins to enumerate these plants. The plants are an orchid of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, campfire, spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus, cinnamon, and all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. Now typically, if you look at this, this is this woman that he loves so dearly, and she's hemmed in. And I know that normally we want to tell everybody, go out into the world. Go do everything. And I understand that. But your greatest witness will be something that you'll see here. She's walled in and she has all of these beautiful spices and plants that are growing inside of this garden. And you might wonder, well, how would she ever be a witness? How would she ever tell the world that she has this lover? How will you? Well, I'll tell her, I'll put a bumper sticker on my car. I'll wear a cross. That won't be your greatest witness. Look with me in verse 16. Where we're told, awake, O north wind. That's the cold winds. And come thou south, and blow upon my garden. Do you know what your greatest witness will be? When the cold, hard trials of life come upon you, what will the world smell? But then when the heat and the fiery trials come into your life, (coughs) what will the world smell then? And what I'm trying to say to you is that there is a fragrance that the Lord wants in our lives that cannot be told with the tongue. What you say will never outweigh what you are. And then you will see that he's invited to come in and so forth and all like that. And what I want to get around to uh, is is telling you about this fragrance. Did you know that the Bible says one time in Acts chapter 3 that there's going to be a time of refreshing that will come to this earth? There's going to be a time when the Lord will send forth Showers of blessing. And in this, chap, in this book, in chapter 2, we're told that the flowers will appear on the earth, the time of singing of birds, the fig tree will put forth her green fig, figs, and the vines with the tender grape will give a good smell. No more smog. No more difficulty, it's the fragrance of the kingdom. You would say, well, I don't know if God's really that big into cologne or not. Well, he is. When the Lord ordained that Aaron and his children become priests, each one of them was anointed. ...with a special fragrance. Every vessel was anointed. When Jesus was born, the wise men brought spices, myrrh and frankincense. Uh, When Jesus was about to go to the cross, uh, Mary gave an expensive ointment and so forth. And did you know one of the reasons why God uh, led the children of Israel into captivity in Babylon... In the book of Exodus, we're told that they were to make a special, precious ointment. It could not come on any flesh. It was not for fleshly purposes. It had to be used only in a holy way. Do you know when Hezekiah got sick? He showed the Babylonians that ointment and they smelled it and the prophet came to him and said because you've done this your princes and so forth will will go into captivity in the kingdom rule of the Lord Jesus if you want to know if this continues or not read Psalms 45 all of your garments smell of myrrh and I know I know that, that this is just on and on and, and, and on, but but let me begin by trying to show you this. In the Old Testament, Aaron was to light the lamps every morning. And he was to put incense on the altar. That incense is typical of prayer according to the revelation think of this if our Lord Jesus taught us to pray for his kingdom to come and you know it's beyond me if people say uh, that the kingdom is now we're wasting our time to pray that the kingdom would come Because it hasn't. But think of the saints who have prayed for his kingdom to come. Has that gone unheard? The prayers in regards to that have reached heaven. And one day in the 8th chapter of the Revelation, the Lord will pour out that incense upon this earth And he will cleanse it in a special way, but it's a fragrance. And I want you to just think for a little while about how important the fragrance is. And then I want you to study with me now. And I want you to turn with me, if you will, to the book of Genesis chapter 8. And I hope I'm not stepping on... Any, any uh, speakers' lessons here in, in Genesis chapter 8, but <clears throat> forgive me if I do. Uh, if, you look <clears throat> if you look with me in Genesis chapter 8 for a minute, you'll see the first time that this word smelled is used. In Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20, Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and he took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now, then, I wish you'd picture this. This was a worldwide flood. If it wasn't worldwide, then God didn't tell the truth when he said he wouldn't do it anymore. But it was worldwide. He killed everything. Do you know what would happen when that occurred? (laughs) There'd be dead things all over the world. And as soon as this began to dry up, there had to be a stench it it was terrible it, it it had to be terrible but in verse 21 when noah offered this offering the lord smelled a sweet savor can you can you imagine that have you ever um have you ever smelled flesh burning when I was a chaplain in the fire department I would go to places to try to encourage the firemen when people would be burned and killed in houses it's awful but the Lord smelled a sweet savor Keep this in your mind. The whole world was a stench. There were nothing good in regards to this at this time. And yet through this one sacrifice, the Lord smelled a sweet savor. Do you know what that's typical of? Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5 and verse 2. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, Be ye therefore followers of God, as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering, and a sacrifice to God, for a sweet-smelling savor. it's the the cross of Christ the whole world is a stench but God smells a sweet savor in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus let me try to reiterate something that I've said to you before when Christ died on the cross It was filled with kingdom teaching. I know that he died as the substitute and the bearer of our sins. But he died to bring forth the kingdom principles that we should understand and know. Well, preacher, you know, you don't know that. Yeah, I do. Just be quiet and listen for a minute. First of all, don't leave now. If you you leave, don't come back anymore. But But first of all, consider this. Did you know that Jesus said in Matthew 25 that the kingdom was prepared from the foundation of the world? Oh, but read the revelation, and it speaks of the lamb that was sacrificed from the foundation of the world. They're together. God didn't send His Son just so that we could be believers in Him. He sent His Son to fulfill His plan, and part of that plan is the kingdom rule of the Lord Jesus over this earth. But preach again, and think of this. How many have ever heard a sermon about deathbed repentance and looked to the thief on the cross? The thief on the cross didn't ask Jesus to save him. He asked him to remember him when he come in his kingdom. This thief knew more than most Baptist preachers... Or whatever, <laughs> I didn't mean to say that, but <laughs> but anyway, uh, it is true. Think of this: Do you know how Jesus was entitled at his at his death on the cross? And I know who wrote this. But I know that God ordained it. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Well, you know, if that would have been me, I would have said Jesus of Bethlehem. But that wasn't what they put. It was Jesus of Nazareth. Do you know what Nazareth means? Branch. Do you know who the branch of righteousness is in Jeremiah 23? It's the Lord Jesus. It's the branch of David. Do you know do you know why? There was a crown of thorns because he's going to change the curse one day from thorns to trees. Do you know why they gambled for his clothing? They gambled for his vesture. In the Revelation chapter 19 it says when he comes as king of kings and lord of lords he's going to be wearing a vesture that's dipped with blood. And the scriptures are showing us in a typical sense when Noah got off the ark, he was entering into a new world and in thanks he gave this sacrifice to God and God smelled it. It was a sweet smelling savor to the Lord, just like the death of Christ. You'd say, well, preacher, I don't know if that has a lot to do with the kingdom or not. Well, look with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11 for a minute. If you're still around Genesis chapter 8, if you'll hold your hand there for a minute, uh, in Genesis chapter 8, and turn to Isaiah chapter 11... Like to read this to you in Isaiah chapter eleven. In verse one, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots and the scriptures tell us the spirit of the lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the lord and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. Now, I want to ask you if you'll put your finger on a little word here in verse 3. It's understanding. Shall make him of quick understanding. If you are still around Genesis chapter 8, And verse 21, let me read that to you again. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. Do you see that word smelled? And then do you see this word understanding in Isaiah 11? It's the same word. Well, preacher, that's, that's nice, but what does that mean? It means that when the Lord comes back, he's, he's going to do something special. He's going to judge by a scent or by a fragrance. Did you know that? Oh, but if you're still in Isaiah chapter 11, uh, look in verse 3 as we read on. And it shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he won't judge by the sight of his eyes. Like, boy, look what I've done. And... He won't reprove after the hearing of the ears. Lord, have we not done great things? He's judging as a quick-scented person. It's the fragrance that matters. You know, there's a religion that don't believe in using deodorant. Did you know that? Did you know that? That's why they stink. But... uh, (laughs) But that's true. So then what does this mean? What about this garden that I've talked to you about? When the wind blows, what is the scent that comes forth? Well, maybe that don't have anything to do with us. It has everything to do with us. Look with me in your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Corinthians for a minute, chapter 2. Second Corinthians, chapter 2. I'm having trouble finding my, my pages. My hands don't work too good. My head don't work too good either. But Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let me begin reading in verse 14. Now thanks be unto God which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and make manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. That's a sin. And he says, For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, how do we become a sweet savor of Christ? By being identified with him in his sweet-smelling sacrifice before God. But, you know, you mean, preacher, we're supposed to always smell good to other people? That's not the point. The point is we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. Do you know who the ones who are going to perish are? (laughs) Some, Some perish, but anyway... To one, we are the savor of death unto death. To the other, we are the savor of life unto that life that we seek. And it's by smell and fragrance and not by all that we do. And let me say this to you. And... I hope you'll understand what I'm saying. It's not activity that's always the key. It's what we are. It's productivity. And that only comes from being associated with the will of God, which occurred at the cross. Did you know what the Word of God teaches us? It's sharper than a two edged sword, dividing asunder the soul and spirit, and the joints and the marrow. Do you know what the joints are? Well, till you get old. That's movement, and that's activity. But do you know what the marrow is? That's something that's inside, and it's productivity. It's not always activity. It's sometimes the productivity. Let me ask you if you will to turn with me to the book of Philippians and I'll read you one verse and then then I'll then I'll quit. If you'll if you'll look with me in Philippians chapter four. <clears throat> If you'll look down to verse 18, Paul says to these people at Philippi, I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor and a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable well pleasing to god it is a giving of a gift to a fellow believer to assure us that we love one another when the lord comes he not only will judge but he will equate to you in regards to the fragrance that's in your life and your association with him. And I apologize for being so crude tonight, but that's all i got to say. And uh, I hope uh, you've enjoyed some of the thoughts in regards to uh, the fragrance of the kingdom. I mm-hmm.